G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The Bible says in Revelation 4 that a door is standing open and John is invited in. How would you like to go into heaven itself? Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue the series on Revelation and look into chapter 4 where John is given a glimpse at what God is doing, witnessing his glory in a vision of heaven. If you walked into God's throne room, what kind of questions would you ask him? But I guarantee when you get in the presence of God, reality's going to hit you and you're going to think, oops, I wonder if there's some things he wants to say to me. This is Today with Jeff Vines and A Vision of Heaven. Uh, Man, we're in a series on the book of Revelation. And this is an epic journey that we're taking, and we're going to learn so much about the mind of God and how he sees your life, how he sees the world. And it's going to be such an encouragement to you, especially as we move into this message, because we're moving into a time where God and his purpose is to encourage people who are suffering enormous persecution. If you know anything about our world today, you know that Christians continue to, to struggle under death and persecution. They're still crucified today. You know that, right? Christians are being crucified every day in places like the South Sudan. They're being burned at the stake. They're being impelled. They're being cast into slavery. That still happens. You may think, well, it doesn't happen in our country, but it may not happen in your country. And just because it doesn't happen in our country doesn't mean that it's not happening all around the world, and it is. So all of a sudden, we come to Revelation chapter 4, And remember we said in the book of Revelation that the book of Revelation is not written to us, but it's still written for us. So we're trying to understand the message of an intriguing book from the perspective of the people John's writing to in his day. Now before I start this message, I want to have your undivided attention because I want to do something very special for you and with you, and that's this. You might come to this message and you say, hey, already, Pastor Jeff, you've lost me because I don't believe in heaven. So you're about to tell me that John gets a view of heaven. I don't even believe heaven exists. You say, well, come on, Pastor Jeff. There's nobody in this church or congregation that doubts heaven. You are so wrong. Uh, When you do a series like this, as I said before, there will be people who will come who will say, wow, uh, Christ Church of the Valley is doing a series on Revelation. I want to go see how wacky these Christians really are. And so they'll come and they'll hear something like heaven and they'll think, man, here we go again. These guys are so weak. They need some kind of crutch to make it through life. I just want to say something to you out of respect for you because I've also been there. I've been on that journey. I've had my crisis of faith, so I understand. But you have to consider something. If you're intellectually honest with yourself, you have to understand that the proof of heaven is in the historical Jesus. There is no other proof. Just because somebody says they had a dream or they said, I died and went to heaven, they came back and wrote a book about it, that is subjective. There's no way I can test that. The only proof of heaven and that it exists is the historical person of Christ. 
his inexplainable uh, uh, life, his incredible ministry, the fact that he healed people, the fact that he died and rose from the dead. Now, I know what you say there. You say, well, hold on a second. How do you know all those things happened? You weren't there. And I would say to you, well, I wasn't there when John Wilkes Booth shot President Lincoln either. I wasn't there uh, when Aristotle wrote the Nicomachean Ethic. I wasn't there during the Gaelic Wars, but I know they happened. And I know they happened because of what we call legal historical proof. Legal historical proof is what our courts all over the world use every day to determine if something is historically accurate or not. I'm telling you that I've, do- I've gone down this road, that I have studied people like William R. Ramsey, who is one of the most respected archaeologists and historians on planet Earth, who said when it comes to the Bible, there is no other book of literary antiquity that is respected as much. Now, why would he say that? You say, because he's a Christian. Wrong answer. At the time, he was not when he made that statement. Why would he say that? Because we have so many copies of the manuscripts of the Bible that we can contrast and compare them. When we have these archaeological digs, we find things. And when we find these copies and they agree with one another, we're able to determine by what is called literary test of antiquity, we're able to determine that what you're reading today is an accurate representation of what was originally written. You understand? So we know that if you can't trust the Bible, you can't trust any book ever written because no book has as much manuscript authority as does the Bible. And that's why guys like John McRae, who worked with National Geographic, made the statement that no archaeological dig or find has ever controverted a biblical reference. Because the Bible is accurate history. You have to ask yourself, why is it that the cross is still the number one symbol, recognized symbol in the world? You have to ask yourself why the Bible is the number one selling book of humanity of all time. And why the Bible continues to outlive its pallbearers. Every generation will tell you, well, the Bible will finally fade with the next. It doesn't. It just comes back stronger. You have to ask yourself. Intellectual honesty requires that you measure The argument on the other side. I did that when I had my crisis of faith. I wanted to know what people who did not agree with me said about this. I'm asking you to do the same thing. And to ask yourself not only about the objective resources concerning the resurrection, the life, and the ministry of Jesus, the historical Christ. You say, what about what I saw on CNN? You're always going to see things that oppose views. I mean, that's what the liberal media especially wants to do. There is a concerted effort, especially in America, to kill Christianity. You got to know that. So you do it slowly over time. I'm only asking you this, that as you watch things like that, that you also watch things like Gary Habermas, that you go on to a respected historian, you go onto a website like GaryHabermas.com or RZIM.com and read some of the most respected scholars in the world of literary antiquity, in the world of the historical Christ, that you read both sides and then you make up your mind after you've done your homework. And what you're going to find is that Jesus gives you a coherent worldview that his answer to life and death, they're consistent. And he knows everything about your life. So I'm just simply saying to you that weigh the objective evidence for Christ, the historical Christ and the resurrection and ask yourself questions like, wow, why are there no Jewish polemic resources that doubt an empty tomb? Not even one. The empty tomb is an assumption made by history. Why is it? That if the Romans wanted to really snuff out Christianity, they could have just put Jesus' body on a cart and wheeled it downtown Jerusalem. (laughs) Once and for all, that Christianity would have stopped right there. Why was there no body to produce? And then read about the theories that people give you of why there was no body. You use your intellect and logic and say, how realistic is that? I'm simply telling you that once you understand the historical person of Christ, his work, his ministry, his doings, and his resurrection... 
you'll have no trouble believing in heaven because he's the one who's gone and come back to tell us what the rest or the rest of us what it's like. And he is the he is the owner and proprietor. Now, with John, Jesus wants to encourage him. And he in turn wants to encourage the people who are suffering enormous persecution. And he has this vision. The Bible says in Revelation 4 that a door is standing open and John is invited in. How would you like to go into heaven itself? And when John sees the vision, which is written right here, he doesn't give God anthropomorphic language to describe him. He doesn't say God has white hair and blue eyes. He he describes him like this. He says, he who sat there was like, and then he uses three symbols. Stay with me. The first he uses is Jasper. He says, the one who emanated on the throne, it was like clear crystal. Jasper is represented by the white stones here because Jasper is kind of a crystal clear that refracts and reflects color. It reflects and refracts everything else around it. Uh, The best way I can describe this is when we lived in New Zealand, uh, we would go to the uh, northern tip of the South Island to a place called Golden Bay and then make our way up the mountains. And as we did, we'd see these perfect, pristine, clear streams. And as you look down into the water of the lakes, you wouldn't actually see the water. You would actually see the reflection of the mountains and the sky and the clouds. It was gorgeous. You couldn't tell where the lake stopped and the mountains began. This is the kind of stone we're talking about that reflects and refracts everything else. Then he says, not only saw that emanating from the throne, I also saw the color or what is called carnelian. It's a, it's a bright ruby red, and that's why we put these around the throne. And then you've got the nice fiery red, ruby red. And then after that, he says, not only were there these ref- refracting, reflecting colors and a bright ruby red, but there was an emerald green hue that kind of covered over the throne of God. Now, for you and me, gold usually represents something like what? Wealth or diamonds, love, or diamonds are a girl's best friend, or diamonds last forever. These colors, in the same way that when you see something awakened you, these colors, although they don't mean a lot to you and me, would have immediately awakened John to something. This is Today with Jeff Vines. You're listening to A Vision of Heaven as we continue his series on the book of Revelation. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. Think about this for a moment. If you, if you got a meeting with God on the way, on the way, I, I remember the first time I met Ravi Zacharias, uh, and we're good friends now, but originally I was a little nervous because I thought, I'm going to have three hours with one of the sharpest intellects uh, in our generation. Uh, what questions are you going to ask him? And then the thought came to me, okay, right before I went in, I, I thought to myself, just don't say anything stupid, right? <laughs> Proverbs says uh, uh, something about the fact that if you... Uh, if people may think that you're stupid, so don't open your mouth so that you would remove all doubt. Something like that. And so John probably has some thoughts on his mind that he's going to, he says, wow, the door's open, I'm going in. I got a bone to pick with God. I got some things I'd like to ask God, don't you think? But then he gets there and it's like God knew what was on his mind because when he sees these colors and he sees these emanating from the throne, here's the first thing that happens. His mind goes back to Exodus chapter 28. Remember how I told you that Revelation, it, yes, there's got some difficult parts to it, but you don't need to be afraid of it because everything you see in the book of Revelation has Old Testament uh, um, meaning. There's a, there's a metaphor that's drawn right out of it, so therefore we can understand it. His mind goes back to Exodus 28. He thinks about when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. The priest would represent the people of God. He would be carrying their sin to ask for forgiveness, but he would also be carrying their supplication to ask God a prayer request to bless the nation of Israel. When he goes into the Holy of Holies, he's required to wear what is called the breastplate of judgment. And guess what? 
is located on the breastplate of judgment. Twelve stones. Each stone represents the people of Israel, the twelve tribes. The first stone is the stone of Carnelian, the bright ruby red. And the last stone, guess what? It's Jasper, the stone that reflects all the other stones on the breastplate. As soon as John saw these colors emanating, for you and me, it's no big deal. We have television. We see color all the time. But for him, as he sees this, here's what he's thinking. He's thinking of Exodus 28, 29. When Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the children of Israel over his heart as a continual memorial before the Lord. As soon as John sees this stone, guess where his mind goes? Stay with me, please. We're going to pull from here, there, and there, but it'll all come together. If you were to go to my house when I was growing up, you would walk in the front door, and if you kept going straight, you would see this mantle. And on this mantle, you would see some paraphernalia. You would see every Little League trophy that I ever got, all one of them. And then (laughs) you would see my Little League baseball jersey. You would see the clippings of every basketball game I played from the time I was five till my end of my college career. Anything and everything about me that my mother could keep is on that mantle. If you were to walk into my home, the first thing you'd say is, man, Pastor Jeff is wonderful. And of course you'd be right. But the whole point, the whole point is this is a mother who loves her son and thinks about him every moment of the day, even when he's not home. And my mom's not unique like that. There are many mothers that have done the same with their children. When... John sees these colors. I believe that to a great extent, God knows the mind of John. And John probably thinks, man, I I, want to ask you some questions. Do you even care about your people? Do you care what's going on down there? So before he even opened his mouth, he sees these colors and this green hue over the throne. And that's good since in verse 5, we're going to talk about thundering and lightning. And suddenly, in the same way that Aaron carries the people of God over his heart, representing on the breastplate each tribe as he goes into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. As soon as he sees these colors, his mind goes to this. Wow, God carries his people over his heart to such a degree that the very throne of God emanates with the color of his people. He would have been encouraged immediately. That's why you don't hear John saying anything. He's just so overwhelmed by wow that God and his people are so close, it's hard It's hard to tell the difference. We say that we bleed Dodger blue, at least some of us do. But God bleeds me and you. He has your life on his mantle. He's obsessed with you. There's not a minute that goes by he doesn't think about you. And he has clippings of the day of your baptism on his mantle. He has photos of the day of your salvation. He has pictures of the party and celebration that took place in heaven when you said yes to the divine romance. And he celebrates all your successes. He mourns all your failures, but he never, ever gives up on you. And that's why Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine, please stay with me. Can you imagine what John felt as he walked into the throne room of God? If you walked into God's throne room, what kind of questions would you ask him? I, you know, God, I need you to explain the pyramids. You know, what about the Bermuda Triangle? God, I don't understand the Holocaust. Who shot JFK? Why are the Lakers so bad? Some of those questions you're going to ask. But I can guarantee you, whatever question you're going to ask God when you get there, you may not ask it, but down deep inside, the most important one to you is, do you really care about me now? I know you're Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end. What about in between? Did you care about me when I lost my child? Did you care about me when my husband left me, when I lost my job, when my friends betrayed me, when I suffered depression and anxiety? 
Do you care about me? Am I, am I not right? Doesn't, sometimes it, it doesn't feel like God cares very much about you, me. Come on, be honest, you're in church. Sometimes you just don't feel like God is even concerned that you're kind of like a pawn on a chessboard. Imagine John feeling that, and he's, he can't wait to get into the throne. Boy, I've got a few things I'm going to ask God, and suddenly, silence. The first thing he saw was the love of God emanating from the throne and how God carries his people so close. Now, if it stopped there, that'd be one thing, but the next thing we hear is that there is a rainbow encircling the throne. There is a beautiful rainbow. Now, you know where that would have taken John, right back to Genesis chapter nine, verse 12 through 17, where God makes a new covenant with Noah. And he tells Noah, I am no longer gonna destroy this world by flood. You can trust me. I'm gonna be faithful to the covenant that I have made with you. No matter how things look in the present, God is saying to his people, you will overcome and you will be victorious in the end. And again, that's good because in verse five, all of a sudden, even though you got all this beauty, now stay with me, even though you got all this beauty of how God loves us, and this rainbow of the covenant promise he will always keep, you also have thundering and lightning coming from the throne. So you've got this diabolical things that are diametrically opposed. You've got love and grace and salvation. Then you've got power and authority. When we lived in Zimbabwe, uh, about three hours south was a village called Cheredzi. We visited that village in the late 80s, and uh, I heard about a farmer who had a pet lion Okay, He had found him in the wilderness as a cub, as a farmer, and raised him all the way up. Now he had an adult lion living on his property in an enclosure, and his biggest task now was, how am I going to let this lion loose into the wilderness without him making his way back here? But when he comes back here, he won't be in a cage. And so I wanted to see the lion. So in his backyard, he had this thing, and the, the, the wire was like chicken wire. I could get right, I'd never been that close to a line before, so I actually got down on my knees because he was just leaning against the fence, and I put my face right here. I was this close to a lion. He was looking at me, but he didn't seem very interested. So I thought I would help promote something here. I kind of went like this, boo, just to see what would happen. He didn't move. It was like nothing happened. He had zero concern for me. There was no terror whatsoever concerning me and him. And I guess I stood there and just kind of laughed for a few minutes. And I guess about three or four minutes in, I guess he felt like, well, you started it. I can play the game too. So I was just right down there like this. And I put my nose, what up? when I did, he jumped at me like that. I want to tell you, my heart stopped. It was like, boom. I remember that I couldn't get my breath. Even though there was a, a wire, the, the reality that this guy could take me out just like that hit me. And I backed up and I was, I was very afraid. Now, the reason I tell you that is because there's a part of John that wants to question God, but then he starts wondering, I wonder if there's a part of God that wants to question me. See, it's all well and good for you to say, boy, I got some things I want to say to God, but I guarantee when you get in the presence of God, reality's going to hit you and you're going to think, oops, I wonder if there's some things he wants to say to me. It happened to people all through the Bible, didn't it? It happened to people... Like Isaiah, when he saw God, he said, woe is me, I am undone, I am broken into a million pieces. When Peter saw God for the first time, what did he say? Go away from me, I'm a sinner. And now here's John, and he's encouraged by what John, what he sees, that God loves him so much that God holds his people close to his heart. But there's also this power and authority. And that's why he provides the rainbow. Now stay with me. You're going to find two Greek words all through the book of Revelation when we get to chapter 6. And, and I, I don't mean to be crass. And all hell breaks loose. Because it's going to. 
So you can see what God is doing with John. Before I show you what's going to happen on planet earth, I've got to remind you of something. And that's what this vision is about. Let me tell you what you have to keep in mind before I tell you the events that are about to occur. And so John is encouraged by the rainbow, but he's scared of the lightning and thunder. And he learns that his God is not benign. But when he sees the rainbow, here's what he remembers. That yes, justice and judgment are coming one day, but the people of God will be spared. And in the same way that God removed Noah and his family and took them to a new place for a new life, God shall also take his people to a new place with a new life. And judgment and justice will come, but it has already come for the children of God and they've been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through his message, A Vision of Heaven. Next time we'll hear part two, but if you'd like to hear more from Jeff now, you can head to our website, that's vision.org.au, and search for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.